Learning and and uh, and breakfast for mamish the Halig of Josephis and they, they really are Halig. They're mamish special people. And Rashaib and Ramaisha, which doesn't need to be said, obviously he's holy. So uh it should be a schus for the Josephis for all of us. They should be a schus for us. And uh, we should all share in simplest together. Okay, so last week we um, began going into the third parak of Sefer Yeshua, Paragimel Sefer Yeshua. It's more of a introduction. We're speaking about the Yardane and the relationship between the Yardane and the Leviathan. Because again, just to sum up, Paragimel, what, what happens in Paragimel is the Jewish people's uh, miraculous, uh, you know, uh, traveling through the Yardane. Just as we left Mitzrayim with Moshe Rabbeinu, so the Yamsa splits. So, so too when Klai Yisrael travels to Eretz Yisrael with Yishu Benun, so the Yardane splits. So, uh, that's what Parak Gimel is really about. And there's a few other Pratim that are also contained in, in, the, in the third Parak, which again, Bez Hashem, we'll talk about maybe, I don't know, t- today, maybe next week we'll, we'll talk about it. But, uh, so last week we were talking about just in general the Indian of the Yardane and what that place in Kedusha means, the Indian of the Yardane. And we spoke about how the Yardane, according to Chazal, is flows from the tribe of Don, right? That's what we talked about. It comes from Sheva Don, and it flows into the Leviathan. And the way we spoke about it last week was that th- those two inyanim, those two bechinas uh, of Sheva Don, the first, the, emer- the first Sheva to emerge out of the world of Rochel Imenu, and the Leviathan, Zayet Sartel Bay, which is the Indian of, of Schaik, of of Tivus, of imagination. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how the Yardane is this Indian of those two places, those two opposites coming together. Don is Seichel, and Leviathan was imagination, and the Yardane bridges those two things. And so that was, that's what we talked about last week, how, how uh, I'm not going to sum it all up, but that, that's what we talked about last week, how the Yardane is a place that sort of brings opposites together. So Tonight, today what we're going to learn is along the same lines, uh, just deepening that inyan of the Yardim being a place of opposites, okay? And I'll just, a klal that we have to know before we enter into the sugya, and it's really something that was at the root of last week's learning as well, which is, when, it's a klal in, in Torah. Whenever you find something that has qualities that are opposite to each other, in other words, whenever it's, you have something which is a paradox, on the one hand, it's like this, and the other hand, it's like that. Whenever there's opposites, it always is a simon that, that, that it's a reflection of something higher than both, than both sides. When something is chesed alone, so it's chesed. When something is din alone, it's din. When it's chesed and din, it's telling you it's coming from somewhere higher than both. So that's always the klal. Okay, so before we, we deepen our appreciation, our understanding of that sugya of the Yardin, just a few pratim when it comes to the actual paragimel, the text of paragimel, and uh, from there we'll see. So we, we saw this last week, again, you don't have the psukim in front of you, it's just you're listening outside. The Pasuk tells us, again, the third parak picks up after the, uh, the nevuah that Yeshua Benun got in parak Aleph, that it's time to come to Eretz Yisrael, and Hashem told him that in three days you're going to cross over the Ardain. So what Yeshua Benun tells the Kal Yisrael is, we're going to cross over in three days, but we're going now. Right? We're going today, day one, right after the Nevuah. We're going to the Yardin, and we're just going to sit there and we're going to wait. We're going to sit there and we're going to wait for, the, for two days in order to cra- cross over. So the first hour we have to think of, last week we talked about this, that Edaf could travel at night, whatever, but, um, but uh, they, they waited for the morning and so on. But today what we're going to focus on is this Nakuda. What's this Indian of the Jewish people being put in a position where they're mamish by the Yardin, they have to wait. The Indian of waiting. We find this, another Indian of Hamtan, of waiting in association with our relationship and crossing over the Ardain is also what I mentioned last week, is that the Pasuk says that Yeshuvanon gives the instructions that everyone has to remain within walking distance of the Aron Shab- on Shabbos, so you have to be within Tchum Shabbos of the Aron, but you can't be very close. You have to be mamish exactly at 2,000 Amas. Not too far, because we want to be be able to go to the Aron on Shabbos, spoke about that last week, but what we're going to focus on this week is, but not too close either. There has to be some distance between you and the Aron. Also a Bechina of waiting, of being held back. It's similar to what we had by Harsinai, really, that there was, there was a Hagabolo, there was a separation, we were being held back from Harsinai. So this is something we find sort of a theme over here, what's going on, is that our relationship with the Yardin, crossing over the Yardin, there was an avoid of waiting, of being held back, whether it be literally that they're sitting and waiting for a couple days just by the border, or in terms of their distance with the Aaron, that they had to be held back to some degree. So that's another, we have to think about that. What's that Indian? 
Bechlal, what is the Indian of waiting? So the Aaron was traveling ahead of them, and we'll see when they get to the other side and they conquer Yericho, the Aaron was a major part of that process. And so there was a special Indian that the Jewish people had to be able to, to daven by the Aaron, to be close to the Aaron, even on Shabbos. Exactly, exactly. But, they, but their settling place was not further than 2,000 Amas because then they couldn't get there on Shabbos, but it couldn't be close in 2,000. It's exactly at that border. Okay, that's a point, I don't know what we're up to, but that, that Indian of Hamtan of waiting. That's point number one. Another point we have to think about is another interesting thing that we find in the Pesukim. Again, you don't have this in front of you, but the Pesuk says as follows. When Hashem, say, Hashem says a message to Yeshua Benon, the following thing, again, this is as the Jewish people are setting up by the Yardin, and they're now they're waiting for a couple days. Hashem says to Yeshua, today, again, this, uh, you know, after, after they are so waiting, now they're ready to cross over. Today I will establish you, I'll, make, I'll, I'll bring your greatness to the forefront of the Jewish people. Everyone's going to know how great you are. Asher Yedin, that they're going to know. Just as I was with Moshe, I was with you. And it's on a simple level, it's just like Moshe Rabbeinu split the Yamsuf. So you're going to split the Yardin. But the Chazal and the Medrash, in fact, use this Pasek and show a lot of points of where Yeshua Benun and Moshe Rabbeinu were similar. A lot of experiences in terms of the Makis were similar to Yeshua Benun's conquest of Eretz Yisrael. So much so that the Medrash actually asked the question that Yeshua Benun lived only 110 years. Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu lived 120 years. And the Medrash actually asks, uh, they, they should live the same amount of time. And the Medrash has to come up with explanations of why Yeshua Benun didn't have that additional 10 years to even Moshe Rabbeinu. But this Indian, this is point number two, that there's something about Kriyas Hayardain, this Indian of, of the Yardain splitting, which is somehow bringing to the forefront and allowing this equality between Moshe and Yeshua Benun. That now your greatness will be known. So that's point number two. What is this of the Yardin? Point number three, finally, is also a theme in this entire parak, in parak Gimel, is again the Aaron. Like I said, that was a major part of the Yardin splitting and the conquest of Yerichai. But the, the, the term that's always used in this parak to describe the Aaron is something that you don't very often find in Chumash for sure, and even other places in Tanakh, is the Aaron Habris. The Aaron, the Ark of the Covenant, the Aaron Habris. Now, Chazal already pick up on that, and they say the following thing, that the reason why in this story it's always called the Aaron Habris is because the Medrash says the following thing, and you don't have this inside again, but it says like this, The Medrash is asking, and it's explaining that the Pasuk is trying to hint to what schos did the Jewish people have for the Yadin to split. By, by Yamsef also you needed schos in the Aaron of Yosef. So what schos did the Jewish people have for allowing the Yardin to split. So it says, Even if the Jewish people, let's say, would not have Maisim the Rabbanishim will bring us a Gula, and in that case, he split the Yardin, in the Schus of Brismila. Now, it's interesting because it, it, right after the splitting of the, Amps, of, of the Yardin, and we're now actually in Eretz Yisrael, in Perak Dalad, Yishuvanun goes on a whole campaign to be Mechazek Brismila, because a lot of the Yidden that left Mitzrayim, a second, a lot of the left Mitzrayim were not zeichet to bris They didn't have bris in Midbar and so on. So let's say they have questions for the end. So when, we, uh, when, when they get to the Yardin, so even though they, a lot of them didn't have bris Lamaisa, there was a schus that was evoked in the schus of bris that maybe didn't even happen yet. You know, bris So this is the final point. What's the Indian of bris with this relationship with the Yardin too? Okay. Ken, Ken, that's in Parak Dalit, yeah. Okay, we have a tour guide. What is that? Yeah, that's in Parak Dalit. Not so far. Okay. Okay, so let's see the Marama comments that you have inside. Okay, this is going to be, we're going to learn a little bit halacha in terms of the Yardin. Now, we know that the Yardin, besides being a river, it's also one of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. Right? It's the eastern side of Eretz Yisrael, the eastern boundary, in Parshas uh, Masai, where it talks about the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. So it goes through all the cities on the northern side, the southern side, the western side is the Mediterranean, obviously, and on the eastern side it's the Yardin. So the question in Halacha that the that Chazal already dealt with is how do, we, how do we identify the Yardin itself? In other words, the Yardin has itself width, and there is ground in the Yardin, and so what about, let's say, 
plants and whatnot that grow in the Yardin itself, does that have Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael or not? So it's the border. So on this side of the Yardin is Eretz Yisrael for sure. This side of the Yardin is Chutzlars. What of the Yardin itself? Okay, so take a look at the Marmokka number one. There's a Yushalmi in Meseches Chala, Perak Dalit, Halacha Dalit. There's a similar, it's, there's a Gemara in Bavli similar to this in Bechayris, but the Yushalmi uh, puts it in a more clear way. So the Yushalmi says like this, Is Tanoi Tani. There were some Tanoim that had the following tradition, Hayardin Me'aretz Yisrael. So one sheet the Yushalmi records is that the Yardin itself has Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael, it is Eretz Yisrael. And it's the border in terms of the, the other side of the Yardin, that's Chutzlars, but the Yardin itself is Kedusha's Eretz Yisrael. That's one shita. Is Tanoi Tani, and then there's another shita, the, the Yushami quotes, that Hayardin Mi Chutzlars. I know, the Yardin is Chutzlars. And this side of the Yardin is Eretz Yisrael, but the Yardin itself is Shaykh to Chutzlars. Is Tanoi Tani, and then there's a third shita, which is Hayardin Gvul Bifnei Atzmai, that the Yardin is its own boundary. Now, what exactly does that mean, its own boundary? I mean, the two, these are the two sides, either it's Eretz Yisrael or it's not. So there's a machlekes amongst the Acharein and what this third sheet is, that yard, the Yardin is its own boundary. One opinion is, and that this is probably the more, the, 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 the Mepharshim on the Yushami go with this really, is that the Yardin itself split it down the middle. This half of the Yardin that's closer to Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Yisrael, and this half of the Yardin that's closer to Chutzlar is Chutzlar. So split it down the middle. It's like a Suffolk, we're not sure, so, you know, Yachlaiku, things like that. There is an interesting sheet of the Rugged Shavar, in Hilchas Kloyim, the Rugged Shavar says that no, what, the Yusham, what this opinion of the Yushalmi is, is that it's its own Indian. It's not Chutzlarz, but it's not Eretz Yisrael either. It's Kavul B'fneatzma, it's its own Indian. Uh, how do you cope with such a thing that's neither Chutzlarz or Eretz Yisrael? So the Rugged Shavar Kedarka explains that there's many halachas, even agricultural halachas that we have with Eretz Yisrael. Some halachas demand Eretz Yisrael, and some halachas demand that it's not Chutzlarz. Uh, an example, the, 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 this is a sugi by itself. I'm just giving you an example of this. There's a, there's a shayon the Gemara, which talks about the following thing. Let's say chitim, wheat, you know, you need chitim for different carbonas, for let's say, uh, let's say the oimer. So I, let's say it's iron barley. So, so you need a carbon oimer for, for, so iron barley for, for the oimer. Yishami says that has to come from Eretz Yisrael. It can't come from Chutzlart. So Yishami has a question. What if it rains over Eretz Yisrael and it rains soirem? such a thing possible. So clearly, it picked up Sairim from somewhere, you know, from Chutzlaretz, and then it gets into Shemaim and it rains down. Okay, such a phenomenon. The Gemara says a Shiloh about that. Back and forth, yes, no. The Rogatrov explains that that's a scenario where you have Chitim, once it's picked up from the ground and it's in the clouds, it's now considered a new Metzias. It's a new reality. And this is, these are now barley that's coming from heaven. Now, barley that comes from heaven, it's not from Chutzlaretz, but it's not from Eretz Yisrael either. So that would be the, the, the Gemara's question, therefore, when it's asking that question, what about if it rains barley? Well, let's say, if get maybe a little bit more, um, more practical would be, let's say, uh, a, a, a rabbi makes a mifus and he just creates out of thin air barley, you know? So it's not growing from the ground, right? So things like this. So the, it, it's not from Chutzlaretz, but it's not from Eretz Yisrael either. And the Gemara's question is, is that good for Oimer or not? Notice that the question that the Gemara is asking is, is the, the carbon Oimer... Is it the halacha that it needs to be from Eretz Yisrael? Or does it just can't be from Chutzlarz? So says the Rogachev, you see such a concept is that the, the Gemara is like dealing with this issue is that not everything that's Eretz Yisrael based mean, means that it has to be Eretz Yisrael. It could be that it just can't be from Chutzlarz. So any halacha, for example, that we're trying to figure out Meiser and Shuma and Shemitah, you name it, first you have to figure out is it an Eretz Yisrael Dikidin or is it just not Chutzlarz? And so, says the Rogachover, and the Yardin is going to be negated to this. So, because what's the, the Yardin? It's not Chutzlarz, but it's not Eretz Yisrael either. It's Kavul Okay? And therefore, certain halachas would apply. Halachas that are more focused on not, Eretz, not Chutzlarz. Other halachas which are Eretz Yisrael would not apply to the Yardin. So that's, uh, anyway, this is what we see from the Rishalmi. So what is the Yardin? Again, one opinion, Eretz Yisrael. Another opinion, Chutzlarz. The other opinion... <coughs> Not sure, either split it down the middle, or it's, it's this nebulous new reality of not Eretz Yisrael and not Chutzarts either. Another interest, so, so in other words, and, I, and I, said, I said in the beginning, whenever you have something which is like two opposite things, it's always telling you that it's coming from a higher place. So we have this phenomenon that's called Eretz Yisrael, and this thing that's called Chutzarts, but there's something that's higher than both. Like when Mashiach comes, for example, you know, it's a famous thing from Chazal, when Mashiach comes, what's going to happen to Eretz Yisrael with Chutzlarz? 
They're going to be united, right? Eretz Yisrael will be nispashet. It'll cover and overtake the whole world. Take a look at Maramokka number two. Maramokka number two is a Gemara Bametzia. Another interesting halach when it comes to the Yarden. And you'll see it's related to this idea of Mashiach and Eretz Yisrael being able to somehow become integrated with Chutzlaretz. You'll see what I mean. The Gemara Bametzia says the following thing. Okay, it's a b'risa. The Gemara says, the Bryce says, a ganif shenotl mizev inosan lazeh. If you have a ganif that steals an object from one person and uh, brings it to another person. V'chein gazlan shenotl mizev inosan lazeh. Or a gazlan. He's out in the public. Uh, and he takes from one person and gives it to the other. V'chein yardain shenotl mizev inosan lazeh. And so to the yardain that takes from one and gives it to the other. Ma shenotl notl ma shenosan nosan. So obviously the ganif has to pay back. But the object itself, once it transferred Rishos and there was Yish from the owner, so uh, the object is already owned, owned by the person, right? Well, that's the classic halacha when it comes to Geneva, that if a Ganav steals something from you and you're Miyayish, you've given up on ever getting it back, and there's Shina Rishos, and he transfers it to, another, to a third person, then the object is already disconnected from you. The Ganav is going to have to pay you back, but the object itself is lost. So says the Brisa, a Ganav does that, a Gazlan does that, or the Yardin does that then uh, you don't have the object back anymore. What, the, what, is, what does that mean, the yard? What does that mean? So take a look at Marmokka number three. So Rashi over there says as follows. Rashi says, V'chein shar naharis. It's the, Bryce is talking about the yardin. It means all rivers. In other words, the way Rashi interprets the Gemara, this is a halach in It's not talking about theft. Obviously, the yard, rivers are not stealing things, consciously at least. But this is talking about if you leave, uh, you know, you put your, your backpack uh, down by, uh, by the riverbed, you know, and you, you turn your head for a minute, and all of a sudden the river overflows and takes it. Zuta Shalyam, it's now lost in the ocean, it's now lost in the waters, guess what? That's called Yish, and if someone else finds it, it's now they're finding a lost object after the owner already was Miyayish. So what the Bryce is saying is that if a Ganif takes your object and brings it somewhere else, and you've given up, a Gazan does that, or a river does that, you've lost your object, and that's it, finished. Yish. That's what Rashi says. So the Bryce is not talking about the Yardin in particular. It means all rivers. It's interesting. Rashi says, the Tana that, so, that said this Bryce originally, he happened to be sitting by the Yardin. So he's giving an example of a river taking your object and, and it getting lost and someone on the other side of the river finding it and he can keep it because you've already given up. The example he gave was the Yardin because that's where he was sitting. That's, that's Rashi. Now the Rishonim, Anba Metziah don't like this interpretation of Rashi for obvious reasons. It's again, like, okay, but why so the Yardin? Why the Yardin? And it's a little bit of a different case than the Ganif and the Gazlan. Like, that's called a lost object. It's not stealing. What exactly does this mean? So take a look at Maramukha number four, the Ramban. The Ramban says as follows, Pirish be Yerushalmi. He quotes the Yerushalmi that interprets this Bryson not like Rashi, that the Bryson is not talking about a backpack that gets swallowed up by the river. This is a chiddush that Bryce is telling us specific to the Yardin regarding the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. That we know the Yardin is the boundary that separates Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlars, right? And one of the boundaries is, a yard, is the Yardin, right? As the Pasuk says, that the Yardin is the boundary. Therefore, says the Ramban, this is what the Bryce means to say. Since we're talking about a river, and the river is being the boundary, rivers expand and rivers contract. Rivers can move direct, could, could become moved. You can move it uh, man-made ways or even uh, rivers can move. And so the question that the Bryce is dealing with is, uh, what happens if the river, if the Yardin changes? So right now the Yardin is such that Eretz is over here. But let's say the yardin moves, it shifts, it goes this way, it goes that way, it expands, it contracts. So how do we deal with the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael? Do we go with the original yardin? No matter what happens, that was the boundary that's set? Or does the boundary itself become manipulated by the, by the movement and, the, and, the, and the, the liveliness of the yardin itself? Says the Yushami, that's the Ramban is quoting, that's what the Bryson means. Just like a Ganif and a Gazlan you lost your object, now it's by someone else. The Yardin is able to take something from one place and give it to something else. In other words, if the Yardin moves, then what was originally Eretz Yisrael can now be Chutzlaretz, and vice versa. What was originally Chutzlaretz can now be Eretz Yisrael. The boundaries of Eretz Yisrael is able to be manipulated and changed based on the Yardin. It's a huge Chiddush. So he says like this, this is what the Yushami means, uh, the Bryson means to say. Second line, 
if the Yardin, so to speak, takes property from Chutz Laaretz, the Hirchiv Gvul Haaretz, and therefore is expanding the territory of Eretz Yisrael, Harei Mashen Nosan, Ve'erchiv Laaretz Yisrael, B'Kedushas Haaretz. Then Mashen Nosan, Nosan. Then what the Yardin gave you, the Yardin gave you. And now it's yours. That's called Eretz Yisrael. Ve'em Nimshach Eitzel Haaretz, and if the Yardin takes from Eretz Yisrael, so, you know, the, the Yardin moves in such a way that now it's swallowing up more of Eretz Yisrael, Ve'nosan Laaretz Amim, and it gives it to Chutz Laaretz, so, so al chutzlars yichashiv. That's now called chutzlars. Shakos of tolak v'laharetz biyarden. Again, that's the point that the the, the boundary of Eretz Yisrael is dependent on the yarden. The yarden was not just a simon, an indicator of to know like where is the demarcation point. The yarden is the gvul, and depending on the yarden, that's where the boundary will will move. Uh, it'll it'll it could expand Eretz Yisrael. It could contrast Eretz Yisrael. It's manipulable. That's why the Brisa is specific to the Yardin. It's not about all rivers. It's talking about specifically Yardin vis-a-vis its ability to manipulate the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. That's halacha. That's halacha. And most Rishonim go with this. This is how we paskin. Now, what's interesting is again we have to think about this in Pinimius. Like, what does this tell us about the Yardin? We find this nakuda that that the Yardin has this ability of bringing opposites together of almost almost disregarding the difference between Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlarz. So the Yardin itself, like the Yushami that we started with, we focus in on the Yardin itself. What is it? Is it Eretz Yisrael? Is it Chutzlarz? Machlaikas. And the third opinion was it's both. And it's either it's both put down the middle or it's somehow neither. This weird dynamic of Yardin being both and even in terms of the actual Eretz Yisrael and actual Chutzlarz that we know of. This is Chutzlarz. This is Eretz Yisrael. We know what that is. But the Yardin itself has the ability of sort of like manipulating it and taking what was originally Eretz Yisrael making it Chutzlarz, making Chutzlarz into Eretz Yisrael. This funny dynamic, and again, it goes back to the call that I said, whenever you find something that's straddling two opposites, it's always telling you that it's coming from a higher place. Okay, so, so let's, let's try to figure this out. Again, just like, and this, this is why I'm talking about this, because it's, it's sort of connected to last week. Just as last week the Yardin was a body that connected opposites in terms of Seichel and Dimyan, so so too that's what we're seeing this week. It's opposite, it's, it has the ability to connect opposites, which is Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlaretz. Okay, so th- there's a number of ways to go about like sort of interpreting this in Avodis Hashem, because it, but let, let, let's, take, let's take one particular angle. Again, this, this is a, a theme that we've been learning, you know, in many, many of these shirim with Sefer Yeshua, is that Kaiso going into Eretz Yisrael, Kaiso going into Eretz Yisrael was a major shift, major shift in terms of Vodas Hashem, right? You had the world of Maishar Abenu, the world of Maishar Abenu, which is what? Which is, uh, which is, uh, Maishar Abenu is Tarshav Echsav, Maishar Abenu is the written Torah, Maishar Abenu means clarity, absolute clarity. And then you have Yeshua Nun. Which is the Chazal? The Pasuk even compares the Chazal say that if Maish is the sun, Yishuvanon is the moon. So if the sun means light, the moon means darkness. If Maish means Tarshiv Echsav, Yishuvanon means Tarshiv Alpeh, and Tarshiv Alpeh means darkness, means Cheshech. I don't know what I'm doing. I have to figure it out and make mistakes. Tarshiv Alpeh is full of mistakes. It's full of Havaminas. It's full of things that go wrong. It's full of mistakes. Tarshiv Echsav is no mistakes. There's no. The Pasuk never will tell you, you know. It could have been like this, but now we're going to say like this. No, no. The Pasuk is absolute truth always. Absolute truth. And so we, we live in a world where these are two opposite things. There's light and there's darkness. There's clarity. There's confusion. There's Tarsh Bechsav. There's Tarsh Peh. There's Eretz Yisrael. And there's Chutzlarts. Chutzlarts is Chayshech. B'machshakim Hayshivani. Can you say Oilam? Is the Talmud Bavli? Chutzlarts means... Even though I know you're thinking Moshe Rabbeinu was in Chutzlars, but that's a, but what Chutzlars, Moshe Rabbeinu was like a bubble. It didn't, he was uh, above 10 Tzvachim on the ground anyway. But Eretz Yisrael, what Eretz Yisrael means versus Chutzlars, Chutzlars means Chayshech. Eretz Yisrael means clarity. Eretz Yisrael means Nevuah. Chutzlars means no Nevuah. It's the difference between dark, darkness and light. And we live in a world where we see a very big difference between those two things. There are moments in life where there's called R. There's Eretz Yisrael moments. There's... Moshevin took a moment, and then there's Chutzar's took a moment, there's times of confusion and so on. The Chiddush of the Yardin is, is that that entire dynamic of thinking that there's moments in life where there's 
closeness to Rabbanu Shalom, and we call those moments day moments, light moments, Ma'isha Benedikah moments, Tarshivach Savdikah moments. And there's moments where what? Where you're in darkness and confusion and Chayshech and Tarshiv Alpeh and Yishubanun, which means that the Rabbanu Shalom is not in your life and he's not guiding you, and now you're left to your own devices and to figure it out by yourself. That whole dynamic is man made. It's man-made. It's a human construct to think of the Rabbanu Shalom in such a way that the Rabbanu Shalom only exists in certain dimensions, only exists in certain experiences, and other experiences, he's not there and he leaves it up to you. The Chiddush of the Yarden, which is a, a, a body of water that unites these opposite worlds of Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlarz, is a simon. What it's telling you is, is that there's really something higher than both. The idea of there being light and darkness is something that we experience as the created world. But from the perspective of the creator, there's no difference between light and darkness. These are all things that he created. Like, again, this is a cloud that we've spoken about this a number of times, that in Hasidus there's such a thing that's called light. That's, that's when, you're, when you're, the light of the Rabbani Shalom means that you're an experiencing where the Rabbani Shalom is showing you something. He's showing a little bit favor and closeness. But God himself, there's something higher than light. And that's the essence, the essence of God himself. When you're connected to the essence, then it's irrelevant whether it's light or dark. It's irrelevant. When you're on the outside, then you want light. But when you're dovuk to the Rabbani Shalom himself, the Hester, you read the Aliyah, it's an Afkim, it's all the same. And the Yardin is that window into that deep reality of what? Of the essence of being connected to God himself. And from that vantage point of God's perspective, not our perspective, but God's perspective, there is no difference between Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlars. So Eretz Yisrael means clarity, and Chutzlars means confusion. Either way, the Rebbe is with you. The Rebbe is with you when it's clear, and he's with you when it's confusing. You don't feel that. You don't experience that because you're, you're in the world where there's Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlars. But there's a, there's a creator of those places. And the same God that created Eretz Yisrael created Chutzlarts. And from his vantage point, he's in all places. That, does, that, does that mean that we have all the answers when you're in Chutzlarts? No. But it means that when you are in Chutzlarts and you're trying to do the best you can to have the proper answers, God's with you every single step of the way. Every Havamin of the Gemara is called learning, right? If you think, it's, it's, if you think about it, I mean, we're used to it, but it's Mamash Apella, that you could be Makai in the midst of Talmud Torah. What does Talmud Torah mean? The midst of Talmud Torah means to connect to God's mind. To, to be able to be connected to the way God thinks, even when you're making a mistake in your life. It's one, listen, if Talmatar was about learning in order to, you know, occupy your time with things that are better than other choices that you would make, so it's the best option, you know, might as well. It's, uh, if Talmatar was about, like, training your mind how to think, or it would be like trying to figure out how to navigate through life, Okay, I can hear that maybe learning Havaminas is called Tamatar. But that's not what Tamatar is. Tamatar is about Dvekus. It's about attaching yourself to the mind of God. And you're telling me God's mind is full of mistakes? God's mind is full of truth, absolute truth, no? That's Tarshibhsab. So why in the world would learning Havaminas and learning, even learning Maskanas, but you're learning it incorrectly, why would that be called Tamatar? But the answer is because that whole idea of thinking that mistakes are, are, are outside of God's world. That's, that's human. That's our perspective. But the truth is, the truth is from the Rabbanu perspective, Moshe and Yeshua are absolutely one. Because from the God's perspective, that the, the essence, then light is just one expression of God, and darkness is also another expression of God. But it's all the same. We, we interact with it differently. But it's all coming from God's world. All of this was created by the Rabbanu Shalom. That would be Yichudah a higher unity. And this is what, see, this is the ultimate idea over here, that when Klai Yisrael are entering into Eretz Yisrael, just like we had this in, in the last parak, when we talked about Kalev and Pinchas, the two spies going into the land, and they were sort of like foreshadowing or establishing what's going to be with the coming of Mashiach, right? Because you, know, you have to think of it like this, all beginnings and ends are tied to each other. That's a call from Sefer Yitzirah. No tzayfen b'tchilasen, no tzayfen b'tchilasen. So the first entrance into Eretz Yisrael is always going to be reflective of what? Of our final entrance into Eretz Yisrael with the coming of Mashiach. So just as the individuals, Kalev and Pinchas, their first entrance into Eretz Yisrael was what? Was reflective of Mashiach. Kalev was from Shevet Yehuda, that's Mashiach himself. Pinchas was Elio. Elio heralds in Mashiach. We talked about that by Riches. So, so too now. On a, on a national stage, this is the first entrance of the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael. That's a big deal. 
This is a big deal. And so this moment of Klai Yisrael crossing over and entering into Eretz Yisrael is going to be reflective of the coming of Mashiach. And what's going to be with the coming of Mashiach? The coming of Mashiach doesn't mean the Jewish people leaving darkness and going into light. If that's all it is, then guess what? We've done that before. And you could always then take a step back and go back into darkness. The Chiddush of Mashiach is the revelation and the realization of Yichud the higher unity, which is seeing things as God sees it, which means that there is no difference between light and darkness. That Golas itself, the exile itself, was also Geula, was also redemptive. And that's why it's never going to undo itself. I've been asked this question many times. Like, how do we know? We know, okay, the Navi guarantees that there's not going to be a destruction of the third base of Migdash. So it's just Hashem promising. But what's the mechanics of it? Like, how, do, how could we be guaranteed we're not going to make those mistakes again? There's a number of answers, but one answer is, and one of the most fundamental answers, is that Geula, the third Geula is going to be different than the previous ones. The previous ones was, there's still light and darkness. There's still Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlarz. You're just moving from Chutzlarz into Eretz Yisrael. You're moving from darkness into light. But if, as long as there's still a concept of darkness, then you can always fall back into it. The Chiddush of Mashiach, Mashiach is called the Menachem, the one that comforts. Nechama means when a person realizes that what they thought was the difficulty turns out to actually be its own, uh, the thing that you've been looking for the whole time. That's what Nechama means. Mashiach is called the Menachem because the Geula is going to be that when we get to Eretz Yisrael, we're going to realize that everything has always been Eretz Yisrael. The Rishma has always been with us. And the way that dynamic happens, that's what it means when Chazal described Eretz Yisrael with Mashiach encompassing the whole world. What does that mean? Well, that means that we're going to be able to re-experience Golas in a way to realize the truth that even in darkness the Rabbanishim was there and that undermines the very reality of darkness itself. And this is all being experienced by the first moment of the Jewish people's con- contact with the land itself, with the Yardin. The Yardin is that point which somehow Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlars begin to get strange. The border is able to move, the Yardin itself is a little bit of both. Strange things happen when opposites come together. And whenever you have opposites coming together, again, like I said, it's a simon of something higher than both being revealed. What's higher than light and darkness? God himself. God himself. When we see the world as the created, then we see light and dark. But if you're seeing things from the creator's vantage point, God is greater than light. He created light. And he's created greater than darkness. He created darkness. From his, from his vantage point, he is the absolute oneness that all these opposites come from. And if you could connect to the oneness of the Rabbani Shalom, then all opposites are actually coming from the same place. And that's ultimately where, where, the, where the ghoul of Mashiach is going to come from, of us embracing this Indian of Yardin. Let's understand, this is why, let's go back, this is why Davka at this moment, when the Jewish people are entering into the Yardin and crossing the Yardin, this is why Hashem says, and now this is going to be the beginning of the Jewish people's realization that Moshe and Yeshua are the same. Just as I was with Moshe, so too I was with you. Why now? So much so that Chazal say they should have lived both 120 years. Because that's what's going on by the Yardin. The Yard, how could you say, what does it mean, Bechla, Moshe and Yeshua are the same? They're not. Moshe is Moshe. Yeshua is Yeshua. For example, throughout the Gemara, whenever the Gemara tries to give an example of a certain Amaira that was like held in opinion in a very strong way. So the Gemara always says, the language is, even if Yeshua Benun came to me and said, I'm wrong, I'd still disagree. Why not go further? Why not say that if Moshe himself came to me and told me I'm wrong, I disagree? No, that you can't do. If Moshe told you you're wrong, you're wrong. So there is a difference between Moshe and Yeshua. What does it mean, Bechlal, that Moshe and Yeshua are the same? Moshe Shavrik Amrit, when he's saying good, so it's the Nitzis of Moshe. But, but if Moshe Rabbeinu comes and says you're wrong, you're wrong, right? So, what, so how could we say Moshe and Yeshua are the same? The answer is you're right. Moshe and Yeshua are not the same from the vantage point of the created, from the vantage point of our world where there's Eretz Yisrael. And this Chutzar says light and darkness, Moshe is light, and Yeshua is dark, and light always beats dark. But what the Yardin is revealing to us is a truth that's coming from the end of time. It's a truth that's coming from, a, uh, from the absolute beginning of time and all the way to the end of time. To see things how God sees things. And from God's vantage point, there is no difference between Moshe and Yeshua. From the, from the Creator's vantage point. Take a look at Maramukah number 5. Okay? This is from Tferes Yosef. This is uh, an anical from the, the Ishbitzer. He says the following thing. He's asking, he's going on the question 
in, in, in Tehillim, we say this every day in, uh, in Pesuga de Zim, one of the Halukas, so it talks about, the Halukas talks about everything is praising Hashem. Uh, the oceans, the heavens, uh, everything's praising Hashem. And it says in one of the Pesukim, Hamayim Hashem Hashemayim, the waters above heaven praise Hashem. So the question the Yishmetzer asked is, there's, okay, there's waters above heaven, and then there's waters below heaven. Why does it only single out the waters above heaven and, and not mention the waters below heaven? Once you're mentioning that distinction anyway. So said the Yishmetzer, What does heaven mean? Heaven means clarity, means light. It's Moshe. Eretz, what does earth mean? Merames al hastaris. It means darkness, confusion. Which the Rabbanishon created in this world. He created confusion. But the truth is that division between clarity and confusion, between light and darkness, between Eretz Yisrael and that's all coming from the, cre- the perspective of the created. Our perspective, we're stuck in this dynamic where the Rabbanishon created different, different rooms, different, different experiences. But from Hashem's vantage point, what's the difference between heaven and earth? Some people have an avoida. There's different avoidas. You have an avoida when you're in heaven, and you have an avoida when you're on earth. But as far as the Rabbanishon is concerned, as long as you're doing your shlichas, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, some people's avoida, some people's domain and their shlichas is to try to handle light, and some people's shlichas is to handle darkness. So from the per- person's perspective, you'd rather apt for the job of being the uh, worker in light as opposed to the worker in darkness. But from the Rebunish perspective, it makes no difference to him. As far as the Rebunish is concerned, he has, much, has as much nachas from a yid being in Shemayim as a yid who's put in arts and does the best he can in arts. That construct of making a hierarchy that this is chashav, this is not chashav, that's all mitzad debris. It's all from our perspective. It's not the Rebunish perspective. So he says, And if a person embraces the avoida that they, that they have while being in a position of arts, again, you strive for heaven. That's part of your avoida. But, but while you're in an artistic state, and you're in a state of tarsh you're in a yishu benun matziv, then you do the best you can over there, and then you could find light in the, in the earth, heaven in the earth. This is what the Ishbitzer said. This is why he doesn't say, Halos Hashem in Hashemayim. It says, you know, Hashem is praised from heaven. And it counts over there, the water that's above heaven. So why doesn't it talk about the water underneath the earth? The answer is, because if you're saying Pesukah de Zimra, it means that you're trying to connect to the truth, you're trying to stand before Hashem and see things how He sees things. And from the Rebbe perspective, there is no water below. Everything's above. Everything's heavenly. Everything is exactly what the Rebbe Hashem wants. Shemayim and Arts are the same. At the time that you say how, everything is called Maim That's the Yishbet Zizvart. This is why, by the way, going back, Dafka the Yardin split, as I mentioned, in the Schos of what? Of Brismila. Brismila is the one mitzvah that's given to a person, davka specifically, specifically before they know up and down, before they know right and wrong, before they know darkness and light. Eight days old, you don't know anything. That's davka when they give the brismila. Why? Because all the Sarm explained that the Indian of brismila is what? Is that chasima, is that seal on the guf, on the body of a Jew, on the essence of a Jew, that who you are essentially is, is a chelik al kamim it's a piece of, of, God, of God's presence. Now what you do with your life, okay, now the rest of life is, uh, you know, make something of yourself. But bris mila means the essence. Bris mila means the etzim. So at this moment of yarding, which again, we're trying to connect to a place, to the essence of God, who He is, in order to unify light and darkness, so that's evoked by the merit of brismila, which is a mitzvah that's connected to the essence of who you are, regardless of any decisions that you have yet to make in life. In other words, you make decisions in terms of light and darkness. Those are the decisions we make. Sometimes our decisions are light, and sometimes our decisions are dark. But who you are, there's a person making those decisions. So there's a world of light, of light and dark, and then there's God himself that created that world. So the same thing with the person. If you want to connect to God himself at that moment to transcend these, these ex- expressions, these experiences of light and dark that comes from the one God, so the mitzvah to evoke such a reality is the mitzvah of Mila, which is a mitzvah that gets to the essence of who you are also deeper than any particular choice that you make. This is why there's a famous medrash, even in halacha this is quoted, that Davin HaMelech w- w- went to the bathhouse and he becomes Tzabrachim. 
he's, he's undressed, going to take a bath, mikvah, whatever it is, and uh, he's all depressed. He doesn't have any mitzvah, he doesn't have anything. He's not allowed to learn. Uh, maybe there's no mezuzah on the door. He, he's, he's, he has nothing. He's bereft of mitzvahs. Until he looks at himself, he goes, ah, oh, bris mila, every bris mila. And that's Mesamech himself, or Mesamech Lashminis, and he says a kibbutz to tell him for the sake of the fact that he has a bris mila. You see what the bris mila does. Bris mila is the consolation, is the nechama that a person has when they look at their life and they see all is chayshech. That's Dov Melch said, right? Dov Melch is Kal Yisrael. Dov Melch is sitting in a bathhouse. That means that there was a moment where, where Kla Yisrael, each one individually or collectively, were sitting in a merchaz. We have no mitzvah, we have nothing. And so when you define yourself based on that construct of the reality that you create for yourself, which is light and darkness, so very often you could be sitting in a merchaz and you're kuli chayshech and there's no light at all. Then what do you do? Well, then what you do is that you get to that place inside of you that's above light and darkness. There's, an, there, there's the essence of who you are. There's a person. You're not just a... Who we are are not just um, a collection of decisions. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you have an identity. This is, by the way, I mean, this is a, a subtle point, but even in the Rishonim, in the, uh, the, the Rishonim that are more philosophy, not Pneum Satira, there's a very big discussion in the Rishonim of what happens if a person... Is a person ultimately, like after 120, is a person nothing more than their own memories and nothing more than their own experiences? Like, what is your consciousness? Who are you? Are you nothing more than just a collection of the experiences that you had in life? Or is there a be'etzim? Is there an essential person that was behind the scenes of all these experiences? So the world of philosophy has a very hard time wrapping its brain around there being a person, be'etzim, outside of the decisions and the experiences you have. The way in the world of philosophy, very often what consciousness is seen as is just a blank slate that somehow is able to take memories and experiences and just put them together to create an identity. That's philosophy. That's not the truth of Torah. The truth of Torah is that you have an etzim. You have an essence. Just as, again, and it all goes back to how you look at, at creation. It, creation is also a, a hodgepodge of different experiences, light and dark and different shades of light, different shades of dark. But there's a God, there's an, there is a God behind all of that. And if you could connect to the essence of God, then you now have a way of transcending these different experiences and finding an equilibrium throughout all those experiences. And so the way to evoke that is the mitzvah brismila. Brismila is that quality of finding the essence within yourself also to give you equilibrium and a perspective to navigate all the different shades of your life of light and dark. That's what Dabra is finding within himself. I have a brismila, and that's going to allow me to unify my experiences in Beis Medrash and my experiences in the bathhouse. Because who I am is the same in both. And in the Beis Medrash, I act differently. And in the Merchitz, I act differently. But who I am is the same in both. The Kala Yisrael are trying to find this truth in the Yardin, which is going to be, again, like a reflection of the final entrance into Eretz Yisrael, which is what? Which Eretz Yisrael will then contain the whole world. Everything will be reunited in... In the, in, the, in the presence of Hashem's essence, so to speak. So the way to do that is to evoke brismila. It's aroin habris. Okay, one final piece of the puzzle, which I left to the very end, unfortunately, which is the Indian of waiting, right? Remember that? I almost forgot about that. The Indian of waiting, being held back. So, okay, I'm not going to be able to explain this, but take a look at Maramok number six. There's a piece in Lukut Maran. It's one of the more difficult pieces in Lukut Maran. Most of the Qutmaran are words from Rav Nassim, recording Torahs from Rabbi Nachman. Every once in a while you have the actual Ksaviyat of Rabbi Nachman himself. This is one of them. They're even harder usually, uh, much harder than Rav, than Rav Nassim. He says like this, Da, you should know, it's a mistake. Da, you should know. Shiesh ar, there is a light. Shulamala mi nafshin ruch v'nishmasin. There is a light that's even above nefesh ruch v'nishmasin. Who are ain't safe? That's the infinite light of God. In, in, the, in the language that we've been talking about until now, what I think Rabbi Nachman is talking about is the essence. Like there's nefesh, ruch, neshama, there's light, there's darkness, there's different types of experiences, different parts of who you are. But then there's like who you are. That's him. There's the brismila, there's the yardin moment. You know, there's, there's seeing things as God sees it, there's the Mashiach moment. That's him. And even if you could spend your whole life trying to figure that out, like, what is that? What does that mean? Like, I, I could figure who I am out based on decisions that I make. Like, there's a reason why the philosophers 
believes what they believe, that a person is just a composite of their memories because like what else is there? So even though, even though you can spend your whole life trying to really get to that, that nakud, like what is that part of me that's the bris mila? And he says, and there's going to be, at, and you're never going to really get there. You're never going to really be able to articulate who you are. You can articulate what you've done with your life, but you can't ever articulate intellectually, even to yourself, who you are. Nevertheless, the nature of a person is to chase after that. You know, it's like it's always beyond your reach, but the nature is to run after that, to try to really figure out who you are. And through running after that truth, but always being held back, that interplay between running towards who you are and being held back from getting the answer, that interplay between running and returning actually gives you the ability to sometimes experience who you are. That's what Yonachman says. Through running and being held back, then you could some, sometimes, once in a while, have that David Melch moment of finding the bris mila, in a way of touching, not touching, coming close, not coming close. Listen to me. I'm not going to be able to explain this much. I don't understand it myself so much. When a person has properly this kayak of holding back, of realizing of like accepting the limitations of your own understanding of yourself, right? Shua keser, that's what's called keser, keroi. And on the other hand, there's a part of you that's looking for those answers of who am I? And there's a part of you that's sensitive to the fact that you'll never be able to know the answer. This tug and pull between wanting to have the answers but knowing that you're never really going to be able to know the answer. So says Rabbi Nachman, this holding back that the that that that, that you do to yourself to the liyashiv is a seichel by day haradif of ma'akiv through this interplay of running towards those answers but being held back and and accepting the fact that you don't have the answer yet as I ma'akiv then there's an integration between the part of you that 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 wants answers and the part of you that accepts that you're not going to get the answers. And now you've created within yourself a chamber through which the essence, the essence of who you are can be experienced. Okay? And then you'll still know and not know. It'll still be somewhere vague. But what Rabbi Nachman is telling us is that there's an Indian of patience. The Indian of patience. Patience gives a person, there's a certain, there's a certain depth of character that a person develops by having patience. Having patience. I, I've seen this, I mean, I mentioned this before, I've seen this also with, with friends of mine that uh, extremely, extremely brilliant people. I have some smart friends. And they, uh, for example, I know this, I, I've seen this with my own two eyes that, like, you know, in Yeshiva, for example, uh, there's some chaver of my mind, there were mamish brilliant guys, and they were not as much sliach as other people that were not as brilliant. Why? Because they understood everything too quickly. They understood it too quickly. They never developed that that depth that comes with not knowing and just allowing things to settle. When you're so fast and you're so lightning sharp and just everything comes to you, then you're, then all, then, then you're just amassing pieces of information, uh, things. But that ability to really discover your inner kaiches comes from the interplay of knowing and patiently not knowing. Then you're creating within yourself sort of a place that a, a deeper depth of who you are and a deeper consciousness could emerge. That's, uh, that, that, that's a very, very important key to, to experience not knowing, not knowing, and to embrace that, that hamtana. That's why, again, that's in Rabbi Nachman, you find this, that the word hamtana, which means to wait, patience, is also in Hebrew, the word keser also means patience. Kate'er li, the Pasuk has any of. Patience means, wait, wait a minute. The word keser, which is crown, which is the highest thing. The crown is above your head. It's much the highest madrig of the highest place. That's called hamting. So let's go back. Putting all the puzzle pieces together. The Jewish people are entering Eretz Yisrael for the first time, which is reflective of the Jewish people's entrance into Eretz Yisrael for the last time with the coming of Mashiach. And the Chiddush of Mashiach is moving out of that whole construct of light and darkness, getting to that place of seeing reality as God sees it. And the way God sees it from the etzim, from the essence vantage point, then light and darkness are just things. They're just pieces. 
But there's an essence behind all of that. That's the Creator Himself. And the Jewish people are trying to get into that place. Mashiach brings us to that place of seeing things as God sees it, which is then above Golis and Gula. It's above light and darkness. Moshe and Yeshua become even. And that's the Jewish people. And, and, that, and the bris milah is the mitzvah that sort of reflects that. Just as there's an essence of God and there's light and darkness that He creates, so too there's an essence of who you are and there's light and dark that you create. And what mitzvah is reflective of the essence of who you are? That's the bris milah. So Davka, the Jewish people, entering to the Yardin, which is a place on earth, which halachically speaking is this weird nebulous between Chutzars and Eretz Yisrael, uniting those two opposites, therefore being reflective of what? Of something higher than both. It's reflective of the Jewish people's entering to Eretz Yisrael with Mashiach, which is the essence of God. And therefore it's evoked by the mitzvah Brismila, which is the essence of who you are. Therefore to find that essence, Hamtain, wait. Wait. Why don't we give the baby Brismila right away when it's born? Right? With the little girls, sometimes people give the earrings right away. Because why wait? Why wait? Hamting. Wait. Not even a full week. Say a week, fine. No, eight days. Even after a week. Wait a little bit more. Wait a little bit more. Wait. Brismila is an end of hamting. It is an end of wait. And when you have that nakud of waiting, of patience, of, of being able to be humble enough to sit back and to acknowledge the fact that you don't know, then the part of you which is unknowable can make itself known a little bit. But if it's all about knowing... Then you're, only, then you're getting wrapped up in darkness and light. But who you are, which is fundamentally unknowable, you have to be comfortable with not knowing. That's what bris meal is. That's what the yardin is. No, Hashem should help us. That's why, let's just finish off very, very quick. Imamish for one more minute. Marmok number seven is the Rambam, the end of Hilchus Malachim, describing the coming of Mashiach. And it's everything we've been talking about. When Mashiach comes, the preoccupation of the world will be to know God. Therefore, the Jewish people will be tremendously wise. They will know matters that are hidden. These are the key words. And they will reach the understanding of their Creator. What's the Ramah adding with that that we don't already know? They'll be big chachamim, they'll know secrets. That's pretty good. So, what's missing? The answer is being a big chacham and knowing secrets, that's still light and darkness. The Yisigu Das Bara means to know, to see things how God sees them, to reach the understanding of their Creator. That's called Yarding. That's called Yarding. That's Mashiach. And the Brismila, which is in the Schus of Yosef, the Brismila is that part of you that gives you the ability to do that. And it comes with this avoid of knowing and not knowing. Lemirdaf, the Seichel, runs to have answers, but the patience to know that you don't always have the answers immediately. And that dynamic is what gives the person the ability to experience that. Shinemra, Kimaz, Yes Hashem, Kimaim, Amichas, Mishbezeicha, to experience it with their own eyes, Vias Gold Sadek, Meherbi Menu Amen.